0: You're listening to Imaginary Worlds, a show about how we create them and why we suspend our disbelief. I'm Eric Malinsky. My Instagram feed is full of cosplayers, action figure designers and photographers, and Lego master builders. A Lego master builder can recreate anything out of Legos. You've probably seen images of their work, whether it's a life sized Darth Vader made out of Legos, or a 14-foot-tall replica of the Empire State Building at Legoland. But this one Lego figure kept popping up in my feed. It was a human body from the torso up, made entirely of yellow Legos. The figure is tearing his chest open. His guts are spilling out, and his guts are a pile of yellow Legos. The moment I saw that figure, I knew this wasn't just a great technical achievement. This is a work of art. It made me feel something. It reminded me of moments when I felt vulnerable or exposed. I wanted to know more about the artist. His name is Nathan Sawaya, and he has an exhibition show called The Art of the Brick, which toured the world. The show has other monochromatic figures that play with similar themes of personal angst. Like there are several figures holding up their faces like masks, while their actual faces on their bodies are a blank slate or a sunken crevice. And besides his original creations, he also recreated famous works of art for the show, like Michelangelo's David or Gustav Klimt's The Kiss, made out of Legos. Today, he has a great relationship with the company Lego. But when he started building his sculptures in the early 2000s, the company was actually keeping their distance from their adult fans. They kept insisting that Legos were just for kids. When they changed their stance and embraced their adult fans and Lego artists, It was great for their business and for their brand. Art critics have also been slow to accept that a show like The Art of the Brick could be seen as an art show, not just a novelty or a show for kids. Even though The Art of the Brick has been in art museums and sculptors have been using unconventional materials for over a hundred years. But the first person who needed to be convinced that Nathan Sawaya could be a full-time professional artist working in Legos was Nathan Sawaya
1: at a certain point. I was practicing law in New York City. I'd gone to law school. I was became a lawyer, was practicing corporate law, and I would come home after long days at the law firm and I would need this creative outlet. You know, I needed something to do that was different from being a lawyer. So you usually tended to lean towards the artistic stuff like painting, like drawing. And I sculpted out of all sorts of media, uh, more traditional media like clay and wire. I did sculptures out of candy. And then it was just one day I thought, well, what about this toy from my childhood? Could I use Lego bricks as an art medium to do you know, large scale projects? And I started experimenting with it and eventually would leave the law firm behind and become a full time artist that used Lego bricks.
0: Well, what about working with other mediums? Like, why, like, why do you find that you really enjoy working with Legos as opposed to like any other medium?
1: Yeah, uh, working with candy is was one of my favorites, actually. as As you can imagine, it's delicious, and uh, <laughs> it, it it's like it's like working with Lego in that it's small pieces, it's additive sculpture. You're creating creating these large forms with these tiny little pieces, but I tended towards Lego for probably a variety of reasons. There was an, a nostalgic sense to it in that I had Lego bricks growing up. Uh, my parents were very generous in the f- sense they allowed me to have a 36 square foot Lego city in our living room, uh, which was quite the conversation piece. So I always had this toy around me and I just like the aesthetic of Lego bricks. I like the sharp corners, the, the right angles, you know, you look at it, you see these human forms, but when you're up close to them, they're really sharp and, and, and all these corners. And then you back away and the corners blend into curves. And, and that's really something cool about using Lego. So I decided just to play with it. And I think one of the main factors was the reaction I was getting from people. You know, they'd never seen art like this before. And so I just kept experimenting with it.
0: Well, what was your learning curve like? Like, what were some of the mistakes that you made early on that now you've incorporated those solves into your process?
1: Well, you get a feel for the bricks. Uh, that's one of the main things. Is like I was working on something this morning, and I I just knew I could just reach without looking and knew what I needed because you can just you can just feel it. You even the weight of a a one by four between, and a one by six, which are very similar bricks, but you can just tell without looking what you have. So you get that feeling for it, but early on there was plenty of mistakes. Uh, the, the biggest one probably being how to bond the bricks together. Uh, I used all sorts of glues and, and tried sprays and things, trying to find a way to build a sculpture that could be transported without it falling apart. That was a big learning curve. And then when it came to the medium itself, I mean, the biggest thing is learning how to do curves, how to, how to use rectangles to make them look like curves and spheres. And, and spheres are something I practiced a lot. Learning how to build spheres out of rectangular pieces is a key component.
0: But there are specialty bricks that are curved. You, you don't want to sort of collect as many of those as possible?
1: Well, back when I started, I mean, this was almost two decades ago, so there was less of those features. For me, I I really enjoy the rectangular pieces, so that's where I think the magic comes from, is getting those curves out of the rectangular pieces. Plus, the, the detailed pieces, those elements that have curves to them, Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. I mean, that my my type of sculpting, I use the rectangular pieces because that's just what I've learned how to do. The, the detailed pieces are something that are useful at times, and I call them detailed pieces because I use them for details. Like maybe there's a nice uh, round piece I could use for an eyeball, but the rest of the sculpture is pretty much going to be rectangular pieces and that's just how i use them the other the other factor is there's like 15,000 different lego elements uh shapes you know there's so many different shapes that keeping an inventory of every shape in every color is it, it would be really difficult so my inventory is almost entirely just bricks
0: so what stage do you glue and like what happens when you realize you made a mistake
1: i glue as i go these days now when i when i started I was not gluing as I went. I, was, I would build a model completely unglued and then I would copy build it, gluing as I go, looking at the original and then gluing it as I go. And up on some shelves over to my left here in the studio are plenty of unglued models from early days that had just been around for a while and I don't know what to do with. But nowadays I, I have this, this sense of how the sculpture is gonna come together. So I glue as I go. If it doesn't look right, I get out the hammer and chisel some pliers, tear the bricks apart. It's it's part of the process. And it's a heartbreaking part of the process because I've worked on sculptures where I have to chisel away days worth of work. But that is that is part of the process in that you go into this knowing that's always going to happen. You have to have patience for this job.
0: Wow. You know, it's funny. I thought my wife was really brave to do a crossword puzzle
1: with ink, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> this this definitely goes way beyond that.
1: I have buckets at my feet, uh, as we speak, of glued bricks that have been torn apart. And they just, you know, by the time they're glued and then chiseled off, they're useless.
0: Well, was there a moment where you started doing this and you were just like, this is insane? And, and then you realize like, oh, OK, I guess this is my process.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're always trying to be more efficient sometimes, right? You're trying to find a way to to avoid that and you have to learn to accept it because I had to learn to accept it because there was no way around it. I, I did try to find some more efficiencies, as I mentioned, like spraying. It. I thought, well, if I build the sculpture and then just spray it with the glue, would that work? But there's nothing that really keeps that sheen that is that perfect sheen on a Lego brick without with, you know, once you spray it with a glue. So I, I tried different things, but I I found this was the best way to do it.
0: Now, your many of your most famous sculptures are human forms, the human figure, which really to me goes back to like classic art, you know, Renaissance art or whatever, you know, of, of the human figure. Why are you so interested in, in using that also as part of your medium?
1: I think the human figure is critical uh, for conveying emotion, and it, it goes back to early on when I started doing this, I would go to uh, art galleries and talk about my work, and they would kind of laugh, and they're like, oh, you make art out of Lego, and I was like, yeah, and in their minds, I'm sure they were picturing what they saw at a toy store, which was you know a train set or a castle or a spaceship. and I started doing human figures because it can, could convey more emotion, but also it hadn't been really done before. It hadn't been seen like it is now. Now you see it much more. But back then it, it wasn't really out there and, and it really captured the, the imagination of the art world a bit, which was good. Uh, but for me, it always came down to what I was trying to convey and what I was trying to say with these pieces. And the human form was was the way I wanted to do that.
0: Well, I think probably your most famous sculpture is the yellow man who's tearing his chest open and all the pieces are spilling out. What were the emotions that you wanted to express through that piece?
1: Well, it's interesting, because I don't really go into what the pieces mean to me, because I always want the audience to have a role uh, in interpreting itself. But I think for something like Yellow, which has become a bit iconic, you know, it's about opening oneself up to the world, so much so, That your soul is spilling out i think it's about giving everything you've got it it's it's interesting because more people have contacted me about that piece than any particular piece i've ever done i think it resonates with folks for a variety of different reasons and it resonates with kids as well because they see this figure and it's tearing its chest open and its guts are coming out and that's kind of cool but those guts Are loose Lego bricks that same toy they have at home? And it reminds the viewer of what all this is made from.
0: Well, uh, maybe then I'm projecting too much into some of these figures because I mean, there's like I see a lot of anxiety and depression in some of these. You've got the blue figure tearing himself in half, the red head screaming, the gray figure reaching up out of quicksand with these red hands or like are trying to pull him back. There's a lot of figures like that. Is that, am am I imagining things or is that sort of working through now?
1: No, you're not imagining things. Yeah. A a lot of it is, is, is representations of my struggles with depression. Um, You know, the transition metamorphosis, theme uh, is a big part of that is trying to pull myself out at times, trying to get out of those places and, and, you know, creating art has helped uh, for sure in doing that. But yeah, that. Theme of of what you're describing of that of of depression or trying to find a way from it is is pretty accurate throughout a lot of my work.
0: Yeah, especially like the arms, you know, the those red the arms coming out of nowhere to hold you back. I I see that a lot as well.
1: Yeah, that's a figure called Grasp. That's a sculpture called Grasp. The figure is this red figure pulling away from a wall, and the wall has these arms grabbing at the figure, pulling it back. And that actually came from my transition, actually, of being a lawyer to being an artist. And so many people telling me I was making a mistake, which, which kind of shocked me because these were colleagues and friends who I thought would be very supportive, but actually were very negative about it. Now, I, I, I shouldn't say everyone. I had some very supportive friends throughout the process. But when I decided to make that transition, some people thought I was crazy and that negativity is something you've got to break away from. And, and literally, that's what the sculpture's about.
0: So working all these emotions out through art, do you feel that like you've sort of exercised those demons or are these sort of things that you've like, you, you know, you're always going to deal with because y- you're a human and, you know, these are these emo- emotions that will just never go away?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I think there are times when I feel like oh, I've put it into a sculpture. Now I don't have to think about it anymore. But things come back and, and life still continues. So it is, for me, a very therapeutic way of dealing with things. I've been told I go into a bit of a trance when I'm working on a big project like that, where I'm just focused. And, and I do think there is some therapy in just clicking brick by brick, working over time. It's just me alone in the studio working. Sometimes my dog's here. But other than that, it is just me dealing with my thoughts. And I, I have found it to be therapeutic over the years.
0: I also love the figures that are losing body parts. There's a gray figure kneeling over because his hands have turned into a pile of bricks. Is that like out of an anxiety dream?
1: <laughs> it's exactly. It's my nightmare. My hands are my tools, right? And they've, they, they looking a little rough today. They got some cuts and bruises, but that's part of the process as well. Uh, but yeah, they that's what that sculpture is about. I mean, my hands are what I use to create all of this. And so that sculpture just came from fear.
0: How come so many of the figures are monochromatic?
1: The idea behind the monochromatic sculptures was something that early on I wanted to focus on because I felt, again, it gave the viewer a little more of a role in the sculpture. If I made the sculptures look like a particular person, then then some people may be able to connect with it but not everyone. I thought by making them monochromatic they were more universal. Huh, that's interesting.
0: I assume it's also probably easier to buy bricks all in one color, like thousands <laughs> of bricks in.
1: Well, I mean at this point my as you know, I've mentioned my inventory's kind of kind of large, so I have the colors that I need. But I like to keep a giant inventory though so that when I have that idea for that sculpture, whatever it may be, I don't have to think about, do I need this, do I need that? I, I know I have whatever I need here. And that's why I keep a huge inventory. I'm I'm actually adding about a quarter million bricks every month.
0: Today, he lives in Los Angeles. His studio is filled with aisles and shelves of Legos, each one organized by size and color. And his Lego sculptures are set up around the shelves and aisles, spilling into a gallery. It is the coolest man cave ever. After the break, we'll hear about his latest work and why it was one of the most challenging projects that he's taken on. In 2021, Nathan introduced a new exhibit to his traveling show, The Art of the Brick. The exhibit is called Pernicium, which is Latin for destruction or extinction. For the exhibit, he built over a dozen life-size figures of endangered species, like cheetahs, whales, and polar bears, all out of Legos. If you look at them from far away, they're surprisingly realistic. And then the images I've seen of them up close There's so much
1: life to those animals. It's uncanny. I mean, it's weird, though, when you're working with Lego, as I do, as is these like like the polar bear, which is a life size polar bear. You know, it takes about a month to complete it, although at a certain point the head was done and I was still working on the on the torso and the back. And the head felt great, but I knew it was still a sculpture at that point because it had to fill out. And it's such a slow step-by-step process. It's almost not till I put down that final brick that I can just step back and be like, there it is. I think one thing I did learn about the animals was how to how to give them a little more life. you know. And I think a lot of it has to do with the eyes, giving it that shine, putting life into the eyes really brings the animal... Uh, it just it just elevates it to a bit with my monochromatic sculptures i'm not i'm not focusing on the eyes at all usually because it again it's just these monochrome heads but with with the animals it was a different approach and i learned a lot about what it takes to make something feel more alive they are in some sort of environment just being alive and the whole thinking behind the the project was, you know, what if we do nothing and these endangered species go away? We will be left with just plastic versions of them. So it was trying to just capture animals in the moment, but made out of Lego.
0: Are there any particular pieces that were the hardest to work on that just, you know, it, it took forever to get that one right?
1: Yeah, there's been a few uh, where I've really frustrated myself over <laughs> months at a time, uh, there was a piece called Red Dress, which was part of a collaboration with a photographer, Dean West. We did a collaboration called In Pieces several years ago, where we took uh, objects like an umbrella, and we we would have the, the talent hold the Lego umbrella. I would build the umbrella out of Lego, then the talent would hold it, and we'd photograph these images where something in the images in the tableau would be made out of lego and one of the images had a woman wearing a red dress and so to build that red dress took i mean months it was a very difficult process because the dress was to appear as if it was blowing in the wind and to get the thinness of fabric but made still out of plastic Lego bricks was a challenge. Because if you look at my sculptures, you see the outside of them, but you don't see the inside. The inside's a mess. But with this particular sculpture, because you were seeing pieces of fabric flowing in the wind, you had to see both sides of that fabric. And that was it was challenging. I had more chiseled red pieces on the ground than I think I actually used in the sculpture when I was done.
0: Do you, I mean, do you try to create a balance in terms of sometimes people come to you with something that you're like, oh, that would be very challenging, versus I still feel the need to do these more personal, monochromatic figure sculptures? Do you sort of try to every so often be like, you know, I need to put this aside because I've got to create one of these figures right now? I just, I'm feeling it in my gut.
1: Yeah, uh, I do try and keep a balance. In fact, when I started out and I'd left the law firm, I didn't know if I'd be able to pay rent the following month. And I thought, okay, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to take on a commission project and then I will take on a project for myself and take on a commission project and then a project for myself. And, and I really was strict about that balance. And those projects for myself are what became the art of the brick, the touring the exhibition. So for, for these days, it's a little more random because you know commissions come and go and I have other projects. I work on this TV show called Lego Masters. I have installations going on. So I I don't take on every project because I do need that balance and I have to find a way to be like, okay, what interests me? What project's gonna be challenging and keep my interest? I do, you know, if I took on every project, I would be bored out of my mind because a lot of requests are very similar and are, are are something I've done before and I wanna keep going in different directions.
0: What are you working on now?
1: I wish you could see what's what I'm staring at right now. It's half a body that's uh, needing some work. I'm working on a new exhibition. uh, So that's something very exciting for me uh, because it's not just one piece or two pieces. It's an entire exhibition. It'll probably be my largest exhibition to date. So that's something that's really kept me kept me going and kept me focused. But it's also something that uh, keeps me up at night and and I'm stressing out and you know, waking up in the middle of the night, jotting down notes—it's—it's it's been an interesting time.
0: So, well, I'm curious, what when you when you when you're up at night and you're fretting about this, is it like this isn't working, or I've done this too many times, I need to do something different, or like, what are the thoughts in your head that you're just like that are keeping you up in terms of your artwork?
1: I mean, it, it's usually this isn't working, this doesn't look right. How's this going to play? How? Is this going to meet my expectations of what I want the final feeling to be for the viewer? When someone steps into a gallery and they see these works, is this gonna is this gonna play the way I want it to? Are, are, is this gonna be able to fit through the average doorway? You know, I've learned a lot about door sizes in in the US versus Europe. You know, we go to some venues, some beautiful museums, and they still don't have doors that are big enough. <laughs> for for certain sculptures uh, and it can be frustrating
0: yeah god those are logistical things i would never think that you would have to deal with
1: yeah i've learned how to develop there's this engineering aspect to what i do of course and part of that is learning how to create a sculpture that if necessary can be taken apart at a certain place something like um, there's a in one of my touring shows there's a there's a t-rex it's a t-rex skeleton uh, this dinosaur skeleton that's like 20 feet long and it breaks down into 14 different sections because that's what's necessary to to allow it to travel and then we have to reassemble it so things like that are interesting because i just want to build it as one but realizing realizing the hard way learning the hard way that sometimes it doesn't fit through the doorway literally building sculptures that i have finished, and then I'm like, "Oh my gosh, my door is only thirty-three inches wide. What am I going to do?" Now I have an art studio with a much bigger garage door, so that's not an issue. But building back in New York City, I I, I literally had to get everything through a thirty-three inch door, and had forgot learned that the hard way.
0: It's funny, I haven't gotten the sense from you at all that that like I mean, like theoretically, you could have some kind of chip on your shoulder about the art world. You know, like uh, they've never taken me seriously. But it seems like that's just not an issue with you.
1: No, uh, the art world's interesting, as we all know. The art world has all different <laughs> aspects to it. And I won't go too deep into that other than that, you know, at first uh, the art world felt like it was laughing at me and that was fine uh, because eventually it came around and now we see all sorts of artists using Lego as a medium. And just to be a part of this Lego art movement is kind of special. I think think back to some of the early criticism I received. I remember one of the first critiques ever written up in a newspaper was pretty harsh about my art. They had gone to one of my shows. This was 2008 2009 and they they were really critical of of some of the pieces they had they said some nice things about certain works and critical of a lot of it and i was so happy because they took it seriously they took the art seriously enough to write a critique yeah they were critical of it but it was kind of it was pretty amazing that they were even writing it so i i I take those small wins and just keep going and Look, I'm happy with what I do. I have I have a weird job, but it's a job I love doing. So I can't really worry about anyone else or what they think about it.
0: That is a fascinating uh, reaction that you're just, you know, that they sort of half, you know, give you a very half-hearted, even some panning, and you're just like, well, look who's talking about me.
1: <laughs> well, that's, I mean, but that's how I had to approach it. I could have gotten really upset and been like, oh, you don't understand my art. But what is that going to do? I just had to keep going. And the truth is, I have, you know, supportive pe- people in my, li- my life. Uh, my my wife is very supportive of what I do. My folks have always been supportive. And so I, I just kind of say, you know, I'll just keep keep at it.
0: Um, it's funny. I've, I've heard you say that you find interviews stressful, but you you seem so practiced in interviews. <laughs> Are you just used to them now?
1: Um, a little, I, you know, I'm an introvert. I I create a job where I can just sit alone all day and, and not have to talk to people. So it it is something that stresses me out.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, it makes sense. You're a visual, you're an artist. You spend a lot of time by yourself.
1: Exactly, it, it's, uh, the only person I like to talk to is my dog. <laughs> the dog is
0: real, by the way, although there is a Lego version of him too. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Nathan Sawaya. My assistant producer is Stephanie Billman. You can like the show on Facebook and Instagram where I put a slideshow of Nathan's work. Definitely worth checking out. I also tweeted E. Malinsky and Imagine Worlds Pod. If you really like the show, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts or a shout out on social media. That always helps people discover imaginary worlds. The best way to support the show is to donate on Patreon. At different levels, you get either free Imaginary World stickers, a mug, a t-shirt, and a link to a Dropbox account, which has the full-length interviews of every guest in every episode. And we recently lowered the pledge for the Dropbox account, so you can access it at $5 a month. You can learn more at imaginaryworldspodcast.org.